Let's go on yeah, a trip. Let's go on a trip. Yeah, baby. It's not too bad. What was the question again? <laughs> okay, let's go. I'm Angela Caterns. I'm Ian Rogerson. And welcome to Suddenly Senior. This is a podcast series for those of us who've reached a certain age in life. That's right. You can join if you're not our age, but it'll be a lot more fun if you are. <laughs> so strap yourselves in, check your blood pressure, light your spliff, pour yourself a small bevy, and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Clive Hamilton is one of Australia's most well-known public intellectuals. He's a professor of public ethics and is the founder of the progressive think tank, the Australia Institute. A passionate advocate of evidence-based research, he's become notable in recent years for shining a spotlight on China's creeping influence on global politics and business. But he also has many thoughts on ageing and ageism. Hello and welcome, Senior Clive Hamilton. (laughs) G'day, Angela. G'day, Ian. Clive, um, you're 69, I think, uh, and still in full-time work. Do you consider yourself lucky to be able to still be working? Extremely lucky. I mean, I'm one of those people whose, you know, jobs is something I love to do and so you kind of hang on to it. And the idea of, uh, you know, retiring from it is kind of you treat with horror. So, yeah, I'm lucky and I hope I can keep going and tell you the truth. Even when they stop paying me, I'll keep doing the same thing. (laughs) That's the attitude. I I reckon you probably would have been like this since school. Were you the kid with his hand up all the time? Yeah, not always in a way that was appreciated, (laughs) I have to say. I remember once when I was in sixth form, actually my second sixth form because I failed the first time, had to go back and uh, just scraped into university. But I put up a picture, a very gruesome picture in the senior student common room. And, you know, it is gruesome. It was actually is Vietnam War, right? And there was a, a South Vietnamese soldier, so one of our allies, standing there holding two severed heads. And I was so shocked. I tore it out of a magazine. I, to me, it was quite it was very traumatizing. I stuck it up in, in the senior common room and said, this is our war in Vietnam. And within a few minutes, the headmaster came storming down the quad into the senior common room and ripped it off the wall and took off. And I was following after him saying, hey, I've got a right to free speech. You can't do that. (laughs) Anyway, he could. So, yeah, that's what I was like. Clive, I mentioned, you know, that you were the founder of the progressive think tank, um, the Australia Institute. So how do you how do you actually define progressive? And do you think you've become more progressive as you've grown older? Oh, good question. I used to get this a lot. I always said the Australia Institute was a progressive think tank to try to avoid the label of left wing. We were left wing, uh, but it was better not to be so described because people pigeonhole you. Uh, Although we we were were out there at times uh, at the Australia Institute, really challenging the authorities and copped a lot of blowback as a result. Mm -hmm. And have you become more progressive as you've grown older? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, a lot of people, people from the left, become a bit more conservative as they age. It's fairly standard kind of observation. I'm still just as kind of passionate and driven. I guess my worldview has matured. I'm less idealistic. I'm much more concerned about how we can hang on to what we've got, uh, that is the natural world, for example, or the freedoms that I've grown up with and enjoyed uh, you know, for decades, which now are 
jeopardized. So there is a question whether I, you know, emotionally I've kind of mellowed if I haven't politically and maybe uh, I'm a bit less reactive to things, but it's not so much mellowing, it's more disheartened with the world. You know, I've kind of defeated yeah, if you like. Gee, I, I've got to say that defeated point's a very interesting one because we're all boomers, uh, at least here amongst the three of us. And and I find the defeated angle is really one that I look at ourselves, we were at least trying to fix things, but there didn't seem to be as many things to fix. But now you end up looking everywhere you turn, there's something to fix. And I look at the next generation and the generation before that as well and go, oh, my God, they've got it all in front of them. And I wonder how they feel. They feel a little bit sort of cut off from the whole thing. Uh, it, it can make you a little depressed. What? Where, where's the chink of light there? <laughs> Well, I mean, I suppose we boomers ought to remember the, the victories. You know, we, I mean, in a way, we completely transformed society. If you think back in the 60s before the social revolutions of the late 60s, 70s, 80s, think about, um, you know, the treatment of women and uh, gay people and people of colour. I mean, it was appalling back then, the stuff that happened. Of course, it's not, you know, the revolutions aren't completed, but the transformation has been incredible. So we ought to kind of um, celebrate and remember that. But it is galling, I have to say, when younger people don't recognise that and assume that they're the progressive ones and we're conservatives and if only we understood. And I think, well, you know, really, you're standing on our shoulders. Uh, perhaps we should give you a little bit of the history of that but uh, anyway that's the way of the world I suppose. That's when they tune out Clive. Mm -hmm. But then I wonder if we should feel guilty at all for leaving the planet in the dreadful state that it's in. We did have the opportunity to you know halt the destruction. I take your point Angela but I think the response is well who is this we? Mm. Mm. Because some of us, a large proportion of us, you know tried really hard uh, to protect the planet and uh, pass on a livable, beautiful natural environment for our children and grandchildren. But in a way, if you think about the social movements, you know, gay rights, Indigenous rights, women's rights, um, actually it was the environment movement that represented the most uh, dangerous challenge to the system, if you like. And it's the one that's, in a sense, failed most because the system has caused this massive destruction and we've been unable to stop it. At, at least we're not nuclear armed. Remember, the, the, the no, there were the no-nukes uh, movements and, and demonstrations. At least, at least I think we won that one. Well, indeed, yeah. But, you know, I look at the state of Australia's natural environment, as we've heard in the last few days, it's appalling. And our greenhouse gas emissions and our record is shocking, so... Nothing matters unless we can really leave a decent environment for future generations. Mm. I'm I'm interested, Clive, about the way you think. You know, you're you're described in your Wikipedia page as a public intellectual, and I always thought you people always did things privately at home. But uh, you know, it's it's if you've got that brain and you're actually seeing things happen in front of you uh do you spend a long time thinking to come to a conclusion or is it something you instantly work out oh no 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 <laughs> it takes a long time i mean look it's sometimes if you if i decide to write a book for example uh 
you, know, you have to do a lot of research, a lot of reading, uh, thinking about how to organize the argument and so on. But it's a kind of process that you go through, and I'm pretty good at it now. Sometimes, though, you confront a problem where you have to kind of radically change your understanding of the world. And that's much more difficult and takes more time and may not happen. So, yeah, there's a lot of time um, thinking and reading and maybe talking to other people, though I don't do much of that. I'm, I'm a real introvert. I just spend the vast majority of my time sitting quietly in my office hoping no one will knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? It is. I'm terrible, actually. Um, the, the, the Germans have this great word, as they have great words for many things, called Plauschplager. And it means the pain of having to engage in everyday banter with one's work colleagues. <laughs> you know, you just want to go and get a cup of tea and go back to your office and keep working. But you're, someone you're not insists. You're a fan of the water cooler chat. No, no, I'm not. Or, or <laughs> Melbourne Cup days or Christmas parties. You know, uh, <laughs> you know it's the burden funny. of the introvert, I guess. So, Clive, I know the uh, the Institute did some research on the benefits of an ageing population. Can you tell us what are the benefits and has Australia capitalised on those benefits enough? Well, this was in the context of the kind of ageing crisis, which, you know, I was sitting there thinking this is manufactured. You remember the intergenerational report? Mm. And there was a kind of panic on. And and. Older people were presented and characterised. The media took this up and amplified it as a burden on the workforce, a burden on society, a burden on the budget. There was so much blame being dumped on older people. I thought, you know, this can't be right. And so I commissioned a report that looked at the data and, you know, the big one was healthcare, for example. And actually, the big costs of healthcare occur in the last year of life. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. In fact, there's evidence that... You know, the medical system will spend more money on a 55-year-old than they will on an 85-year-old if they've got exactly the same condition. Kind of makes sense. So we thought, well, but what about the benefits no one talks about? I mean, for example, an obvious one, older people engage in a huge amount of care. I mean, the young old look after the old old. Uh, and as my daughter, uh, Myra, who's a social policy researcher, has shown in her work, grandparents provide more care for little kids than the childcare sector itself. Mm. So the whole place would collapse without grandparents carrying out this unpaid labour. The other thing that struck me in the data is that as Australian society ages, we will become a more law-abiding society. I mean, truth is that 60-year-olds don't murder people very much. I haven't got the energy for it. Something like that. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of cost savings and policing and courts and prisons and so. You know what I really look forward to is fewer hoons on the road. Oh yeah, and they're loud bikes. Have you ever experienced ageism personally, Clive? No, I don't think so. And there's this funny thing that happens that I'm sure we've all experienced when you're kind of getting older. One, one of the kind of transition points happens fairly early, and that is when you realise when your, your children are 30-plus and they start ha have children, there's a kind of p power shift 
and you suddenly realize, hey, they're the adults now. They're the ones in the prime of life, and I'm the one on the, on the decline. And so I think it was kind of from about that point that my son referred, started referring to me as old man. <laughs> How's it going, old man? <laughs> uh, okay, I can wear that. <laughs> that is a bit of a revelation, isn't it, though, that when you suddenly realise that because of your age, you are on the outer, where once you were in the middle. Yeah, I absolutely indeed. And you, and, and you realise it's really when you realise, not that you're now irrelevant because, you know, it happened to me when I was, I don't know, 45, 50, I suppose, wow. uh, kind of prime of life in mm. a way, but it, it does reinforce the fact there's a generation coming up behind and it won't be too long before you go out. And I noticed there was an interesting segment on ABC Radio the other day. I was kind of phoning or texting about grumpy old men. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about this term, grumpy old men. And grumpy is a kind of euphemism, isn't it? You know, for, you know, angry, cantankerous, and so on. But it also is kind of disempowering. You know, grumpy yeah. is kind of, oh, yeah, he's just grumpy. And it's a bit, it's a bit, it's kind of infantilizing, you know, the way in which. Mature women are used to be described and still are sometimes as girls, or the way in which uh, Scott Morrison in the big furore of Brittany Higgins referred to her as Brittany. Yeah. You know, it was kind of making her a little girl. And there's a lot of language around that which starts to be imposed on older people that kind of reflects your uh, increasing disempowerment. Of course, you really know you're old when, when instead of falling over, you've had a fall. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is the mark. Yes. That is the mark. But but can, can grumpiness be mistaken for, you know, kind of impatience with stupidity or, you know, impatience with bad decision-making rather than just, you know, some kind of bad-tempered old bloke? I guess I guess it can be. And, you know, it's often observed that, some grumpy old blokes are grumpy because, you know, they can be and they don't really care what people think. But, you know, in that case, I've been grumpy most of my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I and mean, also there's kind of intolerance uh, in, in the sense of uh, losing patience with the world, mm. both the world around you and, and the larger world. I mean, I'm sure like many people my age, we still shout just as loudly at the television news most nights. Yeah, and that's already up so loud anyway, the start of the neighbours to, to get worried. <laughs> 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 Clive, you know, it, I understand that. You're no longer the front and centre of the production that is your life when you get to our age. You realise that everybody else is having their turn. But there's some real benefits in that as well, isn't there? There's you, you don't have the pressure on you you used to have. You're able to spend more time looking at a few other things, and you've also come up with some shortcuts. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. When, you, when you're no longer in the rat race, that you're no longer aspiring to bigger and better, but uh, cruising and living off your talents and experience, that's terrific. You know, when you're having your greatest successful time of life it's always stressful and difficult and you're full of self-doubts and you beat up on yourself for your mistakes so it's terrific to to transition beyond that particularly you've got the opportunity as the three of us have 
uh, to keep on doing what we like doing. Mm. And writing's exactly. one of yours. I mean, we've only got a 20-minute show, otherwise we'd go through all the books you've written. But I think you've got a new one coming out very shortly called Provocateur, which is, sounds like the, the theme of your life. Well, that's the, that was a title chosen for the memoir that I've written. That's been a very fascinating experience to, to reflect back. And, you know, I was sitting there at the end writing the kind of last couple of pages in my office and someone said, oh, you should be proud of what you've achieved, Clive satisfied and I was thinking about it and then suddenly this um, man came around the office uh, building with a leaf blower. It was roaring thing. He had, he had industrial earmuffs on and it drove me nuts mm. and I thought, this never goes away. Well, the leaf blower or your reaction to Oh, it? the leaf blower. I, you know, <laughs> I hate leaf blowers, don't you? I mean, Oh, everybody worst. hates them. <laughs> I know. I hear one. I think, what's wrong with a broom? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but so, Clive, what about uh, you? Know you have left quite a legacy, haven't you, in the Australian in the Australia Institute? Is that something you think about the importance of le- leaving a legacy? Do you feel happy about that? Do you think we should all think about what legacy we're going to leave behind? Um, yeah, well, it's a funny thing because you know, uh, before I wrote a memoir, I, I read two or three books about writing a memoir because I hadn't written one. It's a different style of writing. There are all kinds of traps that you've got to try and avoid. And and one of the motivations for writing a memoir is legacy recognition or legacy building, I suppose. And I found that uh, the Australia Institute, yeah, I'm glad I did. I think it was a good thing to do, uh, definitely, and it's still there and going strongly and recognised and so on and so forth. But I just felt it was the thing I had to do. Mm. And so I did it and I built it and ran it for 14 years and I left and went on and did other things. I'm, I'm really glad it was there and that I did it. But I can't say I feel this really strong sense of pride. It was just, I mean, it was good. I don't want to disavow it in the least uh, or, or be, you know, false modesty, but it was just kind of, that's how my life yeah. unfolded. That's very laconic. That's That really is just, that's what, what I was called to do and that's what I went and did. And I, I guess that that's the thoughts also of somebody who's at our stage in life, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. And uh, I think those of us who feel that, that we were called and followed through on our passions are, are, are very privileged. I should say that I spent the first 20 years of my adult life desperately wondering what on earth I was supposed to do and being really miserable and <laughs> moved to two or three jobs. And it was only when I was 40 that I resigned from my job and I thought, I'm going to set up a progressive think tank because we didn't have any then. Mm. We had plenty of right-wing think tanks that were very influential. So this was in the early 90s. And it was only then when I did it that I finally felt that I'd found the thing I was meant to do, but it took a really long time to get there. Yeah. But you did, Fantastic. and you did it well. So, Clive, what about looking forward now? Are there? Do you have hopes and dreams for the future of things you'd still like to achieve? Oh, definitely. I've got a couple of uh, books on, on the go. Um, you know, I'll keep researching and, and writing as long as someone's willing to publish it and as long as my brain hasn't collapsed, you know. I mean, that's... Is that a fear of yours, by the way? Oh, absolutely, you know, because if I started you know, getting dementia, I, that'd be the end. I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what else to do. I mean, I don't mm. really have 
any hobbies other than trying to stay fit and some bird watching. Uh, you know, like many men of my age, I don't have very many friends. Mm. Well, you don't answer the door to them, do you? <laughs> That's important. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a truth to that because uh, having a, you know, I kind of envy people who have a lot of friends, but it takes a lot of time. It does. Yeah. You know, you have to really invest in it. Mm. And the truth is I'd rather be, you know, reading and writing. You know, so uh, for many years I've thought, oh, I'm antisocial, I should make more friends. No. But now I'm reframing <laughs> and thinking, well, no, I'm just self-sufficient. <laughs> That's who you are, Clive. Uh, you, look, uh, I, I feel we should actually hook up with you sometime in Canberra, Clive, purely to take you out for a drink. I think you probably need it. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> That'd be great. And, and it's been such a pleasure having a chat with you as well, Clive. What, it's what been fun. great. We thank you for your time, Clive Hamilton. Delight. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Angela. Good on you. Oh, I'm very glad that we had Clive Hamilton on Suddenly Senior, aren't you, Ian? I think he's the biggest brain we've ever had on. And What? 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 How do you measure the biggest brain? Oh, just by their pure output. That man's put out so many books; it's frightening. <laughs> I could set up a library of his books. He's just prolific. By their output. I don't think you should judge the actual size of their brain. Oh, I feel that... we need to describe him in another fashion. Well, well, okay, have a shot at it. What do you reckon? Okay, um, you know, fascinating. Um, in. Uh, uh, not really. Okay, so we're going to stick with big brain then. But not grumpy. No, Definitely oh, certainly. Un-grumpy. No, a lovely, lovely, gentle, lovely man. Uh, uh, thank you for listening to Suddenly Senior. Don't forget, of course, you can find us online anywhere you like at Facebook or any of the other books or grams or Spotify whatever it may be. Yeah. Get your kids to you find just Google out. Google it and it comes boom. That's right. Yeah, no, that's great. When people say, where do you get Suddenly Senior for? I say, Google it. Google it. Exactly. Uh, exactly. We'll, we'll talk okay. next time. Catch time. See you, Edge. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. No, you, you gone yet? Bye. Bye. Please like and also subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Angela Caterns. I'm Ian Rogerson. Leave a comment, as long as it's nice. <laughs> if it's not, that's right. fuck off. <laughs> yes. See you next time, Edge. Bye. And I want wine with my meds. <laughs> <laughs> yes.